Rough Trade are giving away a free album exclusively to 101 part-time jobs listeners. That's you. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade album of the month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with exclusive bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code 101POD this March and you'll get the Rough Trade Album of the Month exclusive pressing of Masterpiece's debut, How to Make a Masterpiece, on green and yellow swell vinyl, completely free of charge. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store, and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. Don't want Album of the Month, but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using 101Pod and you'll still get the first month free. So don't hang around. This offer is only available in March and limited to the first 150 signups. Go to roughtrade.com club and sign up with the voucher code 101Pod. That's 101POD and claim your first month free. This offer is available to UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads. And artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder, where I speak to bands and artists about how they've made it work. It's a tricky thing, prioritizing music and getting it the right way. So I want to hear those stories, those memories, the good times, the interesting times, all of it. On today's episode... We've got the Menzingers. I love this band so much. It was a quick falling in love around 2010. Um, their EP, Hold On Dodge, had just come out. And yeah, just fell in love with their songs and their lyrics, their feelings. They remind me of Peter Pan's Lost Boys. Uh, so good at taking us through nostalgia, 
They're just about to release their new album, Some of It Was True, this Friday. Three songs have come out of it and they're all hits. They're all nothing but the hits. It's the Menzingers, what do you expect? And they're coming on tour in the UK early next year. Everywhere around the world, I'm sure, in the next 12 months. So go check out their website, go follow them and go see them. The show is a hell of an experience. Uh, this is a bit of an inside baseball kind of episode, I think. It kind of feels like a band's band's podcast, but I hope you're into it if you're a Menzingers fan and you're not in a band. Hopefully there are some cool stories in here, some good memories. And yeah, I loved it. Thanks so much for listening. If you like 101 Part-Time Jobs, maybe it's your first time hearing it today, please subscribe, leave a review or a rating if you're that way inclined. We've got episodes coming up with Fiddler, Pip Blom, Snail Mail, and Buck Meek from Big Thief. So by subscribing, that's one sure way to be in the loop when all those come out. Before we get into the episode, I'm going to speak with Rebecca from the band Eka, who's also a brand ambassador for Ampolo, which is a practice at home app. It's getting to the end of wedding season. So if there's anyone out there who's been playing in a wedding band, about to play in a wedding band and needs to get their chops up on a Paul McCartney bass line where he doesn't play the same thing twice, Ampolo is the app for you. The one wedding I played as a larger band, I remember I actually messed up my Spotify account because of it. Ampolo would have been a lifesaver. Yeah, you could hear it back, hear yourself play it. And that probably has, I mean, that definitely has that kind of subconscious impact of being like, yeah, I can do that. If I did it then, I can do it again now. Exactly, yeah. You're not having to like run over to your laptop the whole time, set up a new recording channel, all that kind of stuff. That's Ampolo. It's free. You can download it from the App Store now. Happy practicing. All right, cheers for listening. Here's Tom and Joe from the Menzingers. 101 part time. It's a great title as well. Some of it was true. It's exactly Thanks. the kind of thing that you. Thank you. Because it, it says a lot, you know what I mean? And it's kind of got a smile behind it. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that, that it has a smile behind it. That's what we were kind of going for. We went back and forth between like kind of making an album title the whole thing we were trying to not overcook it we were like okay well it doesn't have to be some kind of epic um genius moment if that's forced you know usually things come quickly so we're like it could be lighthearted because the entire spirit of writing and recording this time was a lot more lighthearted than it's been in the past so we were really stoked that we found something that was dare i say cheeky did i say it right is that working in there (laughs) well cheeky yeah well mending has always had a cheeky thing i feel like (laughs) being introduced to you in like 2010 shout out kieran kelly for telling all of his friends about menzingers and telling everyone to go see you at fest around then that when i was seeing your videos and i I, you know and like seeing your socials i guess and i always got that Thing, that impression of you know you and your brothers and your, your siblings in a small town like going around causing a bit of chaos you know I felt <laughs> I, I, I like felt like very um, I felt an affinity with that because that's how I grew up you know we would we would go to France on school trips and come back with like bangers you know and, yeah. and like try and set off fireworks <laughs> and like set stuff on fire not not in a bad way but like doing like kind of chaotic stuff but in a innocent way that's what I get from Menzingers. That might be what the nicest thing that anybody's really said about us. <laughs> yeah. Totally true. We loved fucking around, uh, not in a way that 
was rooted in some kind of like disturbing malice. Uh, want to hurt. Yeah, there's no malice. I'm sure we put, you know, did fucking piss people off, but always trying to do something fun. Um, even getting into trouble at festivals. Right? I immediately go back to 2010, like you're talking about when we first went over to the UK and all the, the, the dumb shit that we got in trouble with doing there. You know? I think we would call it scrappy. Like that's <laughs> yeah. what we would, that would be like our word for it. Like we were just like scrappy kids. Like, you know, there's no other way to start a band though. Is there? Well, as we've seen, I guess there is, but I don't think there's any other good way to start. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, because you kind of, it's coming, you know, take when you start a band and it, and like it, it's going good and the, sh- and the local shows are happening and you know, you meet people and people are backing you. People are being like, you know, you can tell when people have got kind of got your back. I guess one of the big things, and I think this is, this is, I think what this show is going to be about with you guys is like 101 part-time jobs, part of that job, part of like your remit is trying to make your fun happen all the way through something that is kind of, has a kind of serious infrastructure, you know, like releasing records and going on tour. There's money there. You got to be smart. You got to look after yourself, look after people around you. Looking back now, like with, with years of wisdom and reflection, did, did you, do you think, were you pretty smart back then in terms of being like, okay, yeah, you know, this is something that we can make sustainable. We're going to give it a shot while still having fun the whole time. I just wanted to say everything you just said was incredibly poignant. Sorry to interrupt you. I was just resonating with it. Like, Jesus, <laughs> it's totally trying to have fun while uh, balancing the seriousness or, or at least, you know, the, the um, things that have to be accountable in this situation. And it has become a career. And, you know, mm. we do have a crew that we pay and employees and there's so many people whose careers are based off of our band whether it's the people at epitaph or our manager tim our booking agent phil like it, we really kind of uh keep the things flowing there was one tour that we did and i tried to do like a rough estimate about what you know how much money was brought to the bartenders the venue the sales and the alcohol the babysitters the sh- ride share that went to and it was like probably in the millions of dollars of like one tour between everybody who like, you know, created this micro economy that was just around our band. So it's, it's pretty fucking wild what that's grown right. into. Um, to answer your question, to go back of what you're saying, I don't think we were necessarily very smart. Uh, we were smarter than some other bands in the sense that we built something that we now share four ways. So everything, all the decisions are made four ways. Um, and our, the way that we compensate ourselves is done equally four ways. And we see a lot of bands that don't do that. And I think that we started to do that really early on. And that was smart because, you know, what do people fight about? They fight about love and money. And that's the kind of, so we haven't had to, um, worry about existential threats involving like life circumstances Mm -hmm. and egos and stuff like that. I think that part was smart. Uh, but as far as like, saving or appropriately allocating the resources we were definitely not not so smart i don't think we we like to have fun yeah and you talk about your team and your booking agent and tour manager dave you started working together and he became part of your setup because you got along yeah. and you and you had a good energy between you totally yeah yeah i i always say like we we always like all of us and our crew especially dave because he goes so far back and scott our tour manager um we always like we grew together you know dave learned how to be a sound guy as we were learning how to be a touring band you know we all kind of like helped each other and um in our respective ways but um yeah so i think like just incrementally like learning together and building 
and from the ground up. And that's what really like keeps, you know, a crew like we, we're so lucky now to have a few uh, members of our crew that have just been with us for so long that it just feels yeah. like they're part of the band. Like there's no, I, I see it. It's, it's very, it would be very weird if they weren't with us at this point dynamically. Yeah. So Dave has been with us forever. He's our front of house engineer with well, the first tour that we did in 2010, he was driving a van. So he was friends with Kieran, who we mentioned before he was driving us around and that was it. Not doing any sounds. He was just rolling with it. Um, and then if, if there was a venue where he eventually stepped in and was like, all right, all right. I see that this is going to end in a disaster. I'll do, you know, I'll, I'll step in here. And we brought him over to the States and we were doing a literal arena tour uh, very early on in our career. I believe it was 2011. And he was going to come over and do monitors. So we were like, yeah, we need, we'll get Dave on monitors. We'll get all this shit going. And we get there on the first day, the front of house slash uh, tour manager of Rise Against, who was the band that we were touring with, we said to Dave, "Why don't you just jump behind the mo- jump behind the, the front house desk and do it there? There's no reason why we you just do monitor." So the first time that Dave did front house for us on on a tour when he was with us was in front of like five, six, seven thousand people. <laughs> that is incredible. And I was just thinking, you know, to, to talk about how like you know growing is so important and part of growing like you should grow slowly like growing slowly is a strong and steady that's not that's not growing slowly as a sound person is it no that's like those videos uh you see on tiktok where the mom is just like toss the baby into the the pool because they like naturally know how to swim that's 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 what did i mean growing's hard right growing is hard and always think of that analogy of like the lobster where it gets too big for its shell and it it's fucking squished into this shell and it's really painful and really hurting and it kind of squeezes out it's really fucking painful yeah and then and then it kind of leaves it's that exoskeleton behind and gets a new shell like i know that's like a real earnest or like you know big thing to say but I, I, playing music as an artist and like coming to terms with like that's who we are that's who i am that's what I'm going to try and put my mind to and be sensible about it. Like has, how, how, you know, in the last, I mean, look, you've been a band, I'm going to say 70, 50, 20 years. Just, maybe? About, just about there. Yeah. Just about that. I mean, that's a lot of yeah. growing. Yeah. That, that, that's going to like come with times like hard conversations. Right. And how have there been a lot of those hard conversations have you like you know found that you know you could be best friends with someone and still kind of butt heads at times and to have those kinds of real conversations look totally fine if you don't want to talk about this of course but that kind of real life shit was that something that you really had to like look in the mirror but also kind of like face each other on you know over the years absolutely absolutely you know there's the part the growing pains or like always call them um there's the artistic ones, which I think we should just leave out of this. You know, like there's me as an artist and my vision of myself, blah, 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 that kind of shit. But when it comes to actually making it a job, you know, staying on the 101 part-time jobs, there's been some extremely difficult conversations and some extremely, you know, difficult growing pains. And there are growing pains that come in the form of making mistakes that aren't necessarily yeah. socially. You know, like you, uh, oops, we didn't know that we needed to save x amount for this thing because taxes <laughs> or we didn't know that we needed a certain type of insurance or a permit or th- things like that the regular growing pains i'm sure mm-hmm. every fucking what do what do musicians do uh, barber shops uh, tattoo parlor i'm sure we all make the same mistakes uh but the, the the really difficult ones are definitely 
within our band, the difficult conversations of having to come up with a culture and a set of kind of bigger rules that we can revert back to to follow when making decisions, you know? So it's like, well, are we this kind of person? Are we this kind of band? And if does this decision um, made for us already by dictating that from the top down? Like, does it, do we not do these kind of, let's say, sponsorships? That's one for us is we're pretty easily on the same page Mm -hmm. where there's certain things that if someone came and they do come and say, hey, we'll give you $10,000 to do this. And we're just like, no. Um, not doing that, even though that's a fucking chunk of change. I think that we've always morally been on the same page, um, from the start. So like that makes, uh, a lot of those bigger decisions that would normally maybe take a band down a different path. Um, Mm. it makes those things a little bit easier because we, and even if we're not, it's never anything that is that, um, you know, we're not like that uh far off from each other like we can usually come to some kind of uh middle ground and i think throughout the years that's one thing like we've been able to get better at so like the growing of like getting better of like communicating to each other of like well i don't know if we should do this because of that reason you know and it's Mm -hmm. like i think that's like one big uh factor of growing that we've gotten like good at you know i think it's like only getting better yeah it's decision making right lots of decisions decisions every fucking day yeah and it's not easy to make a decision when four people have the same say and don't have separated things you know it's a beautiful thing that we do and i love it that way but like Mm -hmm. in reality ruling by committee in every single kind of facet that you could think of is not easy like you have to uh come up with great compromises to make sure that everyone's happy or um you know we're not we don't need to do like uh, succession level politicking or anything ridiculous like that. But it is kind of like, or, so, you know, not everybody wants to make a decision on something if it's like an emotionally difficult decision. So then you're like fucking bothering somebody like all that kind of shit really comes in. But like Joe said, we're just getting better and better at that. Great. And that, those kind of decisions could be anything from like staying at hotel a or hotel B, this part of town, <laughs> that part of town, yeah. to like the, the huge things. <laughs> That's why we're literally we've uh, one thing I've heard. I don't know if I've read it in some fucking book or whatever, but trying to make decisions that make decisions for you. Like the what what is something that will eliminate a series of decisions that you have to make is always really good. So in that case, for the hotel one specifically, instead of our tour manager having to text all this separately, we hired uh, a travel agent. So now the travel agent goes and picks the what is essentially or what is ostensibly the best hotel for our situation within the price range that we give them. So it's like, <laughs> there you go. Now we don't have to fight over that. And what are those prerequisites? Are we talking like sauna? Oh my God. Can you imagine? I fucking wish. No, nothing <laughs> has to do with comfort. Everything has to do with, can we park Distance. the bus there? Can yeah. We, yeah. How far away is it? Can we get in there early? Those are the, they all trump yeah. the uh, continental breakfast or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in a few years it'll work its way up to like, you will be needing, you know, those amenities, but I don't, I don't know. As of now, it's like we were just in Virginia beach and stayed at a very, not stayed at, but we had a room that was, you know, it was a party. It was like a party beach motel and it, but it was the closest place to it. So, you and know, the only one of, we could afford every one of them yeah, was like $500 yeah. a, a night or whatever. So it's not <laughs> always very glamorous. Has it ever got to like cruising altitude, you know, talking about decisions and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, with hip hop and rap, we've always seen people like take control of their brand, you know, and like they're the number one fucking person. I feel like in bands, 
you know, very quickly, you know, a first or second record, you might be on an indie label and you get an agent and you're working with a few people. It's quite easy to like relinquish those kinds of duties. Has that been like, I feel like keeping control of like everything you're like, and you kind of being the number one at any kind of point, like that seems to be more and more important because everything's like the music industry and everything around it. And like you say, Tom, that ecosystem, everything changes all the time. Yeah. And so you still got to be in control, right? Sure. Totally. Yeah. And uh, we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, just what it's around us. We've seen people not be in control. Uh, and that's worked fine for them in some cases where you have a person whose job it is to curate the aesthetic that you put out into the world. You know, yeah. uh, There's people that are just a vehicle for um, artistry where they don't write their own songs, that kind of thing. And, you know, and the older I get, the less that I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that these days. I mean, I think that if it's vacuum, you know, it sucks and it's completely empty. Uh, it's still, a st- uh, you know, essentially an innocuous thing. Like, who cares if some fucking mm-hmm. kid is like a, a pop star like i don't give a shit um but <clears throat> sometimes it's bad sometimes you there are people that really want to be involved in decision making just to be involved in decision making you know like uh the, the kind of parasitic people or you know if you re- if you phone it in if you start to like not give a shit about you what you're doing then what are you even doing besides just kind of like putting out the same record every two or three years to stay in the same cycle and that's i think there is a sadness to that one um and in our particular case we're really good at staying in control of the things that we want to be in control and like we whatever even it comes down to the designs that we use on the merch that we sell is a, there's a whole lot of thought conversation and um planning that goes into that for us and we're heavily involved at each stage of that um, so mm-hmm. we really are in control of, like you use the, like of, of the the brand or whatever of our band which we really yeah. when it comes down to the songwriting the way that we present ourselves even down to the cities that we play in like we get a routing we'll say hey we want to do this kind of tour and this time of the year and we go on a phone call with an hour or two of all four of us our agent and our manager and they'll have a pre-routed thing and that is decisions made but even like this european tour that we just announced that was meant to be 20 40 percent longer and we were like, no, we're going for three weeks. And then we got back. We're like, no, we want to play these cities. And we was uh, very much, you know, involved in those decision making. I, I honestly do believe that we had a lot of really good people to look up to, um, like a lot of bands and uh, managers, tour managers, crew of, of older bands that we went on tour with. We always were like learning and we were learning like you know, how to, I don't think we knew it at the time, but we, we were learning how to uh, create some kind of longevity with our band. You know, like, I don't, I don't know if like, it's like you're in it. So you don't know that that's what those are the, 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 the traits that you're picking up on. But I think that's like what it was, you know, like touring with the bouncing souls and their manager, Kate, like I remember, you know, when the first times, it's just a very small example, but one of the first times we were on tour with them, we had our stuff on the side of the stage, all of our gear and uh, their tour manager was like, get your stuff out of the way. This is in the way. And then just like from that moment on, we learned, you know, so we learned and it wasn't like uh, of necessarily like we weren't getting in trouble or anything. We were like, Oh, that's something you don't do. Okay. Next thing, you know, and and the lack of, uh, you know, ego that goes into that too, where it's just like, Oh no, like we, we could put our stuff wherever we want, you know, like, we're just like, no, we're here. 
uh, and we're thankful that we're on this tour and now we're learning. And just that little thing we learned, you know, I think that we all had our eyes open to those kinds of things. And then you just like collect those things over the years and know what to do and what not to do. Totally. I think there's two uh, facets of that. One of them is that there's no coincidence that the year that we were finally able to not work, um, not have to work other jobs. We still, you know, had part-time jobs and hustles and all that shit here and there. But the year that we did not have to work anymore was 2012 uh, in the sense that we were able to pay rent and food from the band. And that was the year that we did several tours with the Bouncing Souls. So that's not, I don't, that's not a coincidence. We, we were able to learn from the way that they operated as best friends in a band as like mm. you know grown men that we really looked up to that were able to build a career and start families and mm. uh, Kate Hiltz who was an absolutely incredible human being with a, a, just the biggest love in her heart but also takes no shit and is able to just smash through a world you know especially she was able to smash through like a wildly uh, male dominated system and become one of the fucking best at it and taught us so much and cared so so well for us and then the other facet is that we worked a bunch of jobs so we we, before the band knew how to go to work i guess which is seems like a a completely redundant uh no duh kind of situation but you'd be really surprised at how many bands kind of their entire lives have just been steamrolling through the universe waiting for people to hand them things and never really and i don't have a chip on my shoulder about that but it's just <laughs> we learned that you had to like when you put in work you get a result uh and also that you know there's ways to do things so if the joe's your example gave that we our shit was fucking everywhere on the side of the stage it wasn't because we were well it was because we were aloof careless you know just trying to party but we also just no one ever said that we couldn't do that so uh, yeah. once we realized, like, oh, there's actually, this is, everyone has to be safe. <laughs> and everyone had, there's like a way that will make this work better so that everyone can, can flow, right? So we started to learn that shit and we kind of really took off with it. I remember in Kingston and I was hanging around and I learned that day that you restring before every show. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Yeah, because we serious. Because all of our fucking strings would break, so we started to uh, <laughs> re- restring the guitars like every two shows or every show. Uh, yeah, yeah, we just were had to do it. It was like okay, we got it at that time. We had a deal, uh, I think, with Ernie Ball finally, so our strings cost like two bucks a pack or something. But nice. yeah, we were like, well, we can't be breaking strings on stage. That's not professional. So yeah, <laughs> what was it like? You know, a lot of people. I mean, tell me if not for true for you, but you know, you start playing music as like a sigh of relief when you get home from work or school. You know, you play music to hang out with your friends and maybe you want to practice on the week week at weekday nights, then go play a show on the weekend. It's a very social thing, you know, to kind of counterbalance the stuff that you have to do in life. How did you find that transition of like the band being? the thing you know the band being the the serious thing because and we'll get to it later but you know you talk about in the in the the, the press release about some of it was true about how it is going back to what is that like lightning in a bottle that makes the men zingers the men zingers you know how do we keep getting back to that while continue moving forward for me i i think i could probably speak for everybody but i think it's kind of having this idea of like always wanting to learn like all right when you're in a relationship any kind of relationship you're you're you it's it's it works out so much better in everyone's favor if you're always trying to learn and better yourself rather than Mm -hmm. just thinking like you got this you know and i think a lot of bands are like we got this we know 
what works. We know what kind of music works. We know what we should do. We know what a band on X number album should do at this point. There's a lot of like, you know, uh, there's a lot of molds you can fit in. And I think like, we're just the kind of people like musically, especially that we don't want to just settle. We want to like keep learning about like how we could be better. And this was like our way of, it would be so easy to hit cruise control, I guess, at this point, you know, and just kind of like, do whatever we we think would work but we wanted to learn like we wanted to get back to a place like i don't know it's almost like learning to get back to a place of like how how to do it like we used to you know and it's it's a it's like a tangible thing like i think i think a lot of bands like try to do to that and then maybe like fall short but if if like i don't know you just put yourself in it and have fun writing it and try to block out all of those things that you think are expected of you um, it's, it's a lot easier and, and we're very lucky to have the four of us just keep each other in check with that. You know, like we, we know, you know, we, we feed off each other very well. What's the thing that like, what's your kind of happy place for that? You know, if it's getting a bit like, say you've been working on a record or working on a, on a set of tunes and it's kind of stagnating or just kind of not really there or it feels, and I imagine it, you know, it's got, I've been there plenty of times being in the room and being frustrated. And then all of a sudden you're taking it a bit too seriously. And then you're like, fuck, you feel like an ass. And like, what, what, what gets you out of that? Is that like going for a, you know, fucking going out on a night out together? Is that like taking a break? What's like that thing that pulls you back to like having fun, to feeling light on your feet again? You know, when we're in the box uh, writing, like we did for this record, we don't have a formula that, or, or a system in place that is steadfast, duns gots for how we're going to write a record and how we work the best. We, we're constantly trying to improve the way that we write and read about how people write and incorporate those things together. But one thing that we know is we get in the room. That's the, that's the thing for us. Um, so yeah. don't have a good answer for how we bust out of it when you get into that headspace, like you're just saying. But one thing that we do very well, and we didn't necessarily talk about it, it kind of happened naturally, is, is the jamming. So improvising before, at the beginning, uh, and at the end of practice or in the middle, uh, we've gotten very good at saying what you articulated. So before, everyone would just sit in the room and be mad. And I'm sure you've been in that fucking position before. But now we've gotten very good at being like, hey, I don't, this isn't, this vibe's not going. We are going to beat this song to the fucking ground. And people yeah. say that the best songs come all at once. I think that there's some truth to that. And that if you're, you're writing a song, it won't be any, if you're like really working on a song for too long, it won't be good. I don't believe that. But I do know that we get, the best way that we collectively shake ourselves out of it is by saying, hey, this sucks, and then kind of just jamming, which is what brought us to like it in the first place. And to answer your question mm -hmm. of like how it went from something you do when you get home from work or school, and it's that thing, and to how do you you know transition into the full band and all that kind of stuff, I think a lot of it was playing with other people and the just inherent power and lack of boredom that that brings. It's kind of like you said you bring back the bangers from France. Well, what's better than playing loud guitars and hitting a drum set as loud as you want you know when we were younger that's like that collective feeling of power is like fucking blowing off fireworks or um you know smashing light bulbs or whatever it is some kind of like yeah. cheeky shit but um that and then life is just from a zoomed out perspective life is so boring sometimes or or lack of it or tired that playing the show is what 
changes that. It's that's always fun. That's like a whole sensory experience for everybody involved, and that I think is what really keeps us going back. Music's great, recording is fucking beautiful. It's so exciting, but we are, and that's you know, we don't get paid for that. We get paid to play a show. So that real excitement yeah. and a big part that brings it across is really what keeps us addicted to it. I think. I think just listening to music too. We've always been. I mean, whether it be in cars, practice spaces, whatever, together. Um, listening to music and just like relating to each other on the, with those things that you can't really express in words, but you get, you know, and I think that that's another uh, muscle that we've really been able to build over the years. Uh, like Tom said too, you know, there it's, it's almost this, you know, you feed off each other, you know, when something's not working or, you know, when something is working and you might not be able to explain what that little thing is that's carrying this song along or whatever, but you're, mm. but, but we're all on the same page with it, you know, and you can just tell like, and you just chase that. It's like chasing this high of like getting to the finish end. And you're all like, yes, like, you know, you get fired up and you know, you know, the end's in sight and you just stay on track. Yeah, Ace. And that live thing is, I mean, the men's thing is a party band. Me and Eva, Menzing is in London is our fucking date night. But every time <laughs> Eva's lived here for five years, she you played the weekend she moved here. Like that's an anniversary for us. And I think uh, you, you look around at a Menzinger show and people are going like people are having fun. It's like it's it's a party. It's a real real party. I mean, actually, I overcooked it last time when you played at the Roundhouse. I got a big. <laughs> It's too fucked up. <laughs> that tends to that's, happen when we that's great. our old friends. Yeah. When we uh, that, that's the way it goes. You get excited. You know, we've still got a little bit of child, children inside of ourselves somewhere, right? Absolutely. Do you, do you see that? You know, when you look out and you see people, you know, maybe, maybe it's us or it could be a stranger or someone you've known for years, da, da, da. That that's the thing that that like fuels the men. That that's a big fuel of the menzingers, is it? Yeah, that's that's what literally fuels us. That's a great analogy for it. It's like the fucking guys shoveling the coal into the the front of the train. That's what keeps it going, man. And uh, <laughs> that's a good analogy. Yeah, that's what, and that's like to, just to throw back what you said before about what we changed on the record. Not necessarily something that we changed. It's something that we embraced on um, this record. We did a lot of. Um, it was recorded mostly. All of the songs are recorded live in a room. So we redubbed some of the guitars and we like to make a joke of like calling the a live recorded record and that being part of the some of it was true thing because it's not <laughs> obviously it is not a fully live record record but there are guitar yeah. tracks and up to all the drums basically and, and Joe you could speak to that or, or be more um, explicit or of the truth of that and bass we're recorded live in the room we really were embracing what we are and what we are is a band that goes around people love yeah. to come to our shows and that's us and mm -hmm. so instead of layering a hundred guitars or in reality six fucking takes of a rhythm guitar on top of each other the entire record is two guitars with like a third one that we call the hero guitar and then the rest of it's just fucking live there's like one harmony oh. um and that kind of was what we did differently this time around was re-embracing that live aspect of the band people love to say about like that nirvana thing like oh you know kurt cobain and chris they made mistakes and kept it on the record and that's a real nice idea <laughs> but like following through with that is a very different thing right dude i'm so glad you said that there's been uh you know we've all got some experience working with different recording software and we've recorded records for our friends and produced some stuff and there always is like a situation where it's like yeah man we want to record it live or we recorded it live and then you know i first thing i think when my friends are sending me a record they're like yeah dude we did it live this time i'm like oh god <laughs> because it's charming and romantic you know but jesus 
let's let's talk about the record some of it was true the two songs that have come out are absolute ragers there's like thanks thank you mending is is like there's this power pop thing there's this replacements thing there's this like new jersey thing like really? that's the fucking the magic you, you when you when you were writing this record was it like when those tom you mentioned earlier that you know songs come in batches yeah. The best songs come in batches. Was that true for this record? Where was, was were there songs on it that you were, that were instant fuck yeses, like or like lines of lyrics or or licks bits where you're like, yeah, damn, that's that's it. Totally. I think even just talking about the two songs that are out right now, uh, one of them is called "No Place in This World for Me," and one of them is called "Hope Is a Dangerous Little Thing," little mouth soup, mouth soup. But uh, the "No Place in This World for Me" uh, was one of the first songs that we wrote for the record. And when we wrote it, it was a punk song. It was faster. It was you know, uh, kind of one of the faster songs that we had written as a band, or like quote unquote punkist songs. And while we were rehearsing it at the studio or while we were trying to lay it down at the studio the producer brad cook came into the room and he said why don't you guys just or maybe it was just over the little the little speaker he goes just try something for me why don't you guys try this in halftime and as soon as we did that it just stuck and we knew it was that's what it needed to be we played the song maybe three or four times and then i think and you know that's one of the tracks where my guitar track is literally the third time i ever played it and there's no punches and no layers and no nothing and there's mistakes like kind of hidden in the background and that was a moment as soon as we played that halftime in the room was like you just mentioned it was a moment where we were like yes this is exactly what we want to be this is like a new sound for us and what we think for at large so there was a novelty to it and it just felt really really good and yeah, totally that was a true lightning bolt moment for sure that was one of those you, you'll remember for a long time yeah for the hope one we had the chorus forever and just muscled it into this popular song so it's kind of like a dark um subject matter that w slipped in you know and that was a eureka moment too we were like okay i guess so here's here's how it's gonna go fuck yeah that kind of trio element of like dark lyrics, positive sound. Great way to describe it. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. A dark lyrics, a positive sound that, 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 that band is so fucking good at. And another huge influence on us. No place in this world for me that having it halftime uh, in the chorus, I'm thinking of it. There's a bounce to the lyrics. The vocals give it that bounce. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I imagine that's harder to get that bounce when it's quicker. Yeah, it wasn't there. It was more like uh, frantic. And then that's yeah. what, what sold us on it was you just described it perfectly, that bounce in the chorus. It's, <laughs> totally. It's crazy how a, a vibe of a song can change by just slowing it down. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it really is. I mean, if you heard the demo, it's like, it's a completely different feel. Yeah. Ace, ace. What's your favorite line? I mean, you could both answer this question. What's, what's your favorite line on the album? What's your favorite lyric? Because... Your lyrics have always been so damn good. You know, you're such a, I mentioned it earlier. There's this, there's this, this coming of age, there's heartbreak, there's pain. There's a lot of joy We're on this record. What, what are your, what are your favorite ones? I can't pick one of my own. I got to pick one of Greg's. No. Yeah. Well, you can, no, you can pick one of your own. If you're thinking, I will say in the meantime that as somebody, I don't write any lyrics for the band. That's, that's all the, the singers that do that. And, uh, you have the best lyrics we've ever had in the band. Joe's, Joe's, we've, we've taken things that Joe's uh, said and turned them into, into yeah. lyrics. One Come time, on. Joe, 
was we were hanging out and Joe said, I don't want to be an asshole anymore. And Greg took that and it became like, the big, that's like their most streamed song on Spotify. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I mean, that it, is that, incredible. I guess there's an asterisk to that statement that I made then, but, um, <laughs> I am always very like, I'm just, I constantly floored and I, I truly mean this. And I, I don't know if I've ever said it. I'm constantly floored by Tom and Greg's lyrics, you know, because as somebody that doesn't sit down with the pen and paper and on tour and write lyrics down, um, things come to me in a different way, I guess. And so I can so much just appreciate that process, but then, you know, you're learning the songs and you're hearing the songs back. And once in a while, I won't even really know what they say. And then I'll be like, Oh, we're in the studio. Hey, Tom, what did you say here? Greg, what did you say here? And I'll just sit there and like, you know, really like ruminate on it. And I'm just like, God damn, dude. Nice. <laughs> you know, like I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly taken back by, you know, these guys. Thank you. That's amazing. That's so nice. My current one is the, uh, that I'll say that, you know, will change as I change, as I change. But the one that I was real stoked about that I wrote in the studio, I believe is the, the second verse of this song that we have on the record called Nobody Stays that is about um, me. You have people that you met and you've known over the last, now we've been adults for so fucking long um, that are just gone and you're never going to see them again. You might not even be able to find them on social media or whatever. There were so many people when we first moved to Philadelphia that I worked with or was great drinking buddies with or, you know, romantically involved with and stuff that I don't sometimes. Uh, like there's this guy and I always think of him. I can't remember his last name, so I'll never find him, but we were good friends when we worked together. Uh, and that idea that he's gone sucks, um, but it's totally fine as well. So there's the preamble to the whole, that's what the song's about. But the second verse in the studio I came up with was, um, I've come to find the skyline lost its mind and I can't find your name. Only old ghosts remain. The city sleeps and I'm the lucid dream and I can't find your name. Only old ghosts remain. That's my favorite thing I wrote for the record so far. That is awesome. Thank you very much. Pretty sick. <laughs> that is great. I think one of my favorite of yours is um, about the splinters and the spoiled liver. <laughs> yeah. I think about that all the time. I think about that when I'm too drunk or hungover, which is, like, I don't want to say it sound like a, like a big shot or something. That, that's a lot, guys. <laughs> no, I do, I, do, I, do think, I, do, I think about that line a lot. Hell yeah. Thank you. Uh, that from the obituaries. Um, yeah. and I think that there is something about that aspect of being hung over that serves as the truth. Like you being hung over isn't a really emotional place, but it's also the hangover that we use and talk about in our lyrics is a, an analogy for the down part of the, your life uh, after something big or after a relationship mm -hmm. or after whatever. It's like, you can't inevitably have something that's great self-caused kind of depressive state often mm. uh, as a as part of a story it serves that purpose i think that's where the menzingers sits menzingers sits in having an amazing time and that bridge of the hangover of thinking about the bad stuff as well the next day yeah love it i'm such a big fan if i've never said i think i've said that already about 50 times this episode but i'm a huge fan of menzingers i think it's so fucking rad and it's just a cherry on top that you're very very lovely so thank, thank you. you thank you so goddamn much thank man. you, thank you, you so much thank you amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals from courses to help you attain or retain certification to individualized coaching services to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen management concepts optimizes your professional development 
online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. I mean, I've always been rubbish at all the jobs I've ever had. <laughs> I didn't really get a full-time job until mid-20s. I kind of was hanging around, clawing onto people's couches for a long time and not really having a place of my own. Eventually got a place of my own, this place, when I was like 27. And like, I didn't necessarily find like the work hard, but I found work culture hard. And I was so bad at things. And right. I'd kind of drop stuff and maybe press reply all a couple of times a week, you know, <laughs> just generally be that person. Uh, so, I, so this question relates to being in the band and also kind of, you know, any time of your life really work or not. But looking back on those like gaffes, those work fails, those mistakes. <laughs> um, I mean, I just worked at Times Radio last year and Talk Sport and I used to doing the adverts for, for the radio. And I'd always, I'd quite often put in like the wrong dates on them. So you'd hear an <laughs> advert be like, listen to tomorrow's game with Arsenal and Liverpool. And it'd be like the week after. And there's like hundreds of thousands of people hearing that. <laughs> and I'd have to apologize profusely. When, I, when I'm like, when I'm saying all that shit, when I'm saying all that, what, what do you, do you have any memories that come to mind for, for yourself? Or you are seeing Joe with a, with an impish smile and a nod. I, yeah, I, I have one. I have, um, I screwed up pretty bad when I was probably like 24, 25. I had a job where I was a courier. So I would just deliver um, a lot of like legal documents or uh, other time sensitive information to people in the city, but also people outside of Philadelphia up to like two hours away. So it was a lot of going into law firms and places like that with these boxes or envelopes full of papers that I didn't look at, but they were important. And, um, I had to go to Harrisburg, which was like two hours from Philadelphia once, and they needed it by whatever time of day, 4 p.m. And I don't remember why, because this was so long ago, but I can only imagine I just didn't care. And for some reason, I just didn't go. And I was like, I'll just go in the morning. I already have the documents. I'll just take them in the morning. I don't. There was probably some other pressing thing that I wanted to do, like party or something or go to a show. So I was like, I'll just do it in the morning. It'll be fine. They'll get it first thing. And that morning... I got a call from the courier place being like, did you take that? They haven't received it. I was like, oh yeah, I just figured I'd take it in the morning. <laughs> like saying this now sounds ridiculous because how aloof I was, but they were, uh, I don't know how important it was, but I know it was very important because that lawyer, whoever was like raised hell with the company. And it was like a really, really big thing. And that eventually led to me like, being suggested that maybe I don't work there anymore <laughs> um, because the guy that owned the place was just this super sweet old guy that was way too nice to fire me. But he was like, you know, suggesting that maybe I do something else. Um, and uh, I'll never know how many people's lives I like messed up with that. But yeah, that'll keep you awake at night. So you guys hey, in jail <laughs> stuck there. The way I see it now is that's on them for trusting a 24 year old drummer who didn't care about anything else um, with that kind of uh, information. So. <laughs> How about you, Tom? Oh, I've got a lot. Yeah. There's one, one of them that comes to mind was when I didn't realize I had work one day and I took acid the day before 
but it wasn't like a regular acid situation. It was like uh, it lasted maybe twenty four. And I don't, you know, I'm not in the habit of unsafe psychedelics these days. This was when I was very young. I took uh, acid and it lasted like a good twenty six hours. It was like an LSA situation or some other something go- else is going on in there. But I had to go to work the next morning and it didn't go well. Uh, it, I was working for Domino's Pizza at the time delivering pizza but thankfully uh, that shift was one of the like four shifts i ever did where i wasn't driving so i had to go in and just work in the kitchen because they could if somebody was on vacation <laughs> or whatever and i fucked up like a bunch of pizza orders i kind of was just like in there spent a lot of time in the cooler i was the only person in the building besides the other driver and she was kind of not all that with it you know she had no <laughs> idea that i was tripping fucking balls how uh, how intense was the trip we, was it visuals was it periphery was it just you're a bit spangled lots of insane visuals that were like the most intense of anything i've ever experienced in my life but by that morning it was more of like a kind of perception like a, a let's say a spatial awareness situation <laughs> Thankfully, there's no knives involved. There's no like, but yeah, a whole lot of like when you walk, you know how you walk into a room and that room becomes you essentially like there was one room that had like a red light and I walked into that room and everything was fucking real red. Um, Yeah, that's why I spent so much time in the freezer because there was like mist coming off everything. That was a pretty, pretty, pretty fucking dumb bonehead moment. Got home from that shift, you're like straight on the couch. Oh my god, the greatest, bur- like the greatest rest of my life came after that. After that shift, <laughs> I was 19. Excellent. Hey, Tom and Joe, thank you so much. 101 part-time jobs. This is the thing. I love doing these chats. Thanks so much for being up for it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having it. Thank you, man. This is so much fun, man. So there they were, Tom and Joe from the Menzingers. Their new album, Some of It Was True is out this Friday. That's exciting. I still get excited about albums coming out on Fridays. Even doing this, speaking to bands every week, I still get that little buzz, that little Friday feeling, you know? I don't do Thursday night. You wait till the morning. Wait till you wake up. Come on, it's Christmas, kids. They're on tour in the UK. Uh, Go get your tickets. That's happening in February. I'll see you then. And I'll be back with an episode with Katie Gregson McLeod later on this week and Buck Meek from Big Thief next week so if you want to know when those episodes arrive click that subscribe button cheers Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.